Let's pray. God, we are excited to hear what you want to say to us tonight. And we pray that we would have open ears to receive your truth, that you would uh, just explain your word well, and that, uh, that our hearts would grasp and grow in the ways that you desire. So have your way with us. It's in your name we pray. <coughs> so again, in the book of Galatians, uh, is written to a group of churches. It's written to a region of churches um, in the area of Galatia. And uh, Paul started these churches on his first missionary journey. If you read in Acts, it's when he's at uh, Lystra and Iconium and Derby, And he started these churches, and this is written... Uh, a few years later, he gets a report that the churches are struggling with uh, influence from false teachers. And specifically, these are men that the church would eventually call Judaizers in church history. And these are guys who came uh, and said, hey, getting saved is a great, getting saved by putting your faith in Jesus Christ is a great start. But what you need to do now is you need to follow the law. So if you're a man, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep all the rules in the Old Testament, you need to go to the synagogue every Sabbath, and, and just in general, you need to be making sure that you're kind of living up to God's standard and making God happy with your performance. And Paul writes the book of Galatians to address that. And so Galatians, as we look at it, we've been looking at the last few weeks, really uh, is basically broken into three chunks. The first two chapters, Paul's explaining the doctrine of grace, the idea that uh, you can do nothing to save yourself and that Jesus Christ is the only means by which we're saved or made whole, is not, he's basically, the first two chapters, Paul says, this is the truth of the church. This is not my opinion. This was revealed to me by Jesus Christ in the same way that Jesus Christ revealed it to Peter and to John and to James and to the other apostles. And so he's saying, so the first two chapters, Paul says, understand that what I'm about to argue is not my opinion. It is God himself has revealed this to his church. Chapters 3 and 4, he's explaining the doctrine of grace. He's explaining the idea of kind of what is it? What does it look like? And he's going through these, all these different arguments of the idea of, okay, we're going to talk about how are you made righteous. And these people, these Judaizers specifically want to say, well, it's all about keeping the Old Testament law. And so Paul says, well, let's go back to the Old Testament law, shall we? I happen to be an expert in that. Uh, Paul was probably one of the most brilliant minds that ever lived in terms of study, in terms of his knowledge of the Old Testament law, just in terms of his intellect. He says, great idea. Let's go back to the Old Testament law. And so we look at uh, the idea that Abraham is made righteous by God. When? Before he's circumcised, before the law comes, before he's ever kept one of the laws or done anything to make God approve of him. Abraham believes God and it's accounted to him as righteousness. And so we see that righteousness, being made righteous by God, is not something that we earn because of the good things we do. It's something that God gifts to us by believing in his promises. And so tonight, where we find ourselves at is the application of grace. Okay, so we can understand that grace is sort of the real truth, if you will, in chapters 1 and 2. This is the real deal. This is not Paul making it up. It's the real thing. In chapters 3 and 4, we can understand a little bit of what it is. Okay, grace, sometimes people say, if you think of it as uh, an acronym, it can stand for God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E, grace. The idea that because of what Christ did on the cross, because of the punishment that he took, we have all the riches that God is giving to us. Right? We have all these gifts 
that we don't deserve, but were given to them because Jesus Christ already took the punishment. So not only do we not get the punishment we deserve, that's mercy, but we get the good things that we don't deserve. That's grace. And the emphasis in grace is that you don't deserve them and that you're not going to do anything to deserve them. And so Paul, what he's going to do in chapters 5 and 6 is he's going to outline how do we walk in grace. Because grace is an active truth. Okay, sometimes there are, there are statements we can make that are sort of a passive truth. I could say, I live in the United States of America. Is that true or false? It's true. And what do we do with that information? Well, not much, right? I'm like, okay, great. Good to know. Kind of figured it. You know, sometimes you can make statements. I'm white. If, if you need my ethnicity for a, you know, government document. You kind of say, yeah, kind of saw that one coming, right? Uh, you know, uh, it's kind of, there's things we can say like, this is just a fact. And it's, everybody's kind of like, so, right? But grace is an active truth. It merits a response. If I tell you your child's in the street and there's a car coming toward it, is that true or false? Well, if it's true, then it is not. That's so whatever. If it's true, there's going to be a response, right? If it's your child in the street and there's a car coming, there's going to be a response, right? And, and so the idea is grace is one of those truths. It's a truth that forces a response. So once you understand grace, your life is going to change because of it. How is it going to change is the question. And so Paul in chapters 5 and 6 is going to help us walk that line. And it's a line. Grace is, is, a, is a knife edge that we walk along. And Paul, and the reason is, Paul's going to really address in these last two chapters two dangerous ideas. And what he's been writing to address is the Judaizers. And so he's been spending time emphasizing, hey, you are not saved by your works. You are, there's nothing you can do that will ever make Jesus Christ love you more. There's nothing you can do to bring yourself into fellowship with God the Father. There's nothing you can do to make yourself receive the Holy Spirit. So we're walking a line of, I want to be in the grace of God. So he's, he's been emphasizing, and he'll continue to emphasize, we need to not go into the side of, hey, now here's what I have to do. But what we also need to not do, and Paul is really good at this when you read the letters of Paul. Paul anticipates the argument. He says, you know, in, in Romans chapter 6, he's been explaining grace to the Romans. And he says, okay, so we explain that, where sin is, grace is. So should we then keep sinning so that we have more grace? He's anticipating, basically, you guys might be thinking this. Let me answer it. The answer is no. So one danger in grace is to say, oh, wow, I got a great start from the Lord. Now it's up to me to keep it going. I need to do something to earn more grace. That's a danger. There's another danger, which is, hey, now that I'm saved by grace, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. Therefore, there's no pressure. I can do whatever I jolly well want to do. I'm saved by grace anyways. I was listening to a guy this week. He said, if you ever catch yourself saying, I'm saved by grace anyways, and you stick an anyways on there, you are in very dangerous ground. And Paul is going to emphasize both those things. So he's continuing to respond to the Judaizers, but he's also anticipating the argument, the counterside of, well, hey, if we're not saved by works, why bother with works? And so we're going to get into that. So chapter 5, verse 1. That felt like a Scott Murphy introduction, didn't it? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again 
with a yoke of bondage. That's, the, that's overall where we're going to be at for the night. Here it is. Stand fast in liberty. Grace is freedom. Grace is I have all the richness and the fullness of Christ because of what Christ did on the cross for me. There is a liberty in that. And Paul's going to say you hold on to that liberty and don't let it go. And basically we're going to spend the rest of the night saying don't let it go this way and don't let it go this way. Right? So stand fast in the liberty and do not be entangled again. You've already been tangled up once. Right? Don't don't get caught up. Don't, if Christ brought you out of prison, don't leave the handcuffs on. Sometimes we can do this as Christians, where we're going to we say, hey, I'm free. And then we just shackle ourselves to something else. So don't do this. Stand fast in the liberty, and don't get entangled again. If Christ has set you free, stay free. That's, that's, that's our call as Christians. Jesus did not set us free so we could then just go be prisoners to something else. He set us free so that we could be free. Indeed, verse 2, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So, Paul gives us a really stern warning. He's going to give us a couple more, okay? But if you are attempting to earn the grace of God by your actions, if you say, hey, I am going to do this so that God will love me, or so that God will approve of me, or so that God will bless me, then you are actually removing yourself from grace. What you're saying is, what God did is not enough. And what you're doing by default then is you're reducing God. You're saying God is not big enough. God is not powerful enough. God is not sufficient enough. God is not good enough to do these things. God needs my help. And once you do that, then Paul says basically you are, if you're getting circumcised to make God love you, then what you're saying is the laws is the way that you're going to be fulfilled. And then once you say that, you better keep the whole thing. Because the law, your only righteousness through the law is if you keep the whole law perfectly. So if you start down this path, if you start to get off that knife edge and say, we're just going to do, you know, wow, getting saved by grace is, is, is wonderful, but we just, you know, there's a couple things we just really got to do to make sure the Lord likes us. No, 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 no. You are, you have, he says, you have fallen from grace. Grace is a fine line and you can fall from it. So we're going to be very careful we, that we never say, you know, good Christians do this. Good Christians have to do this. God expects you to do this. We always want to be careful as individuals, as a church, that we never slide off on that edge. Okay? We are going to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. But, again, Paul's anticipating argument. In Christ Jesus, verse 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Faith works. Because if you believe something, it forces an action. Right? If I believe a truth, this is, grace is an active truth. If I believe that what God has done is sufficient. If I believe that he has saved me, 
He has delivered me. He has set me free in liberty. Then there is an expectation in my heart of I've been set free. I don't want to be not free again. And so I want to learn, I want to study, I want to grow in what does freedom look like. If I have that faith, it's going to work through love. The love of Christ, if I have faith in that love, it's going to produce a work. It's never going to be earned by the work. Right? Work is always the secondary effect. Okay? It always comes after. If you ever put it before... You have missed the entire point. You have fallen from grace. All right? And that's, that's, that's a slippery edge, and people get into some weird doctrine when that happens. But the equally dangerous side is say, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to respond to the grace of God. No, no, no. You can't do anything to earn the grace of God, but you need to be very careful that you, once you have received it, if you have, re- and James, we'll get, when we get to James, James says, Faith, you can demonstrate to me that you have faith by your works. Your works do not give you faith. Your works are going to demonstrate the faith that is already there. Verse 7, he goes on. He says, you ran well. Church, churches, you guys were doing great. Don't get tripped up on this. Remember, we're called to what? Stand fast in liberty. Who hindered you, verse 7 still, from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you that the Lord, in, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Paul says, guys, you ran well. <clears throat> Don't get sidetracked in this. And he says also, don't misunderstand, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The idea of earning God's grace is super dangerous because it only takes a fraction of it to infect you, to infect an entire church, to infect an entire denomination, right? <clears throat> so Paul says, guys, this is not the way to go. A little leaven leavens the entire lump. This is not from Christ. And he says, I could wish... And he says, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? He says, guys, look, I'm not doing this to get out of from persecution. I'm telling you the truth because it's what matters. I wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Be, I'm going to be frank but appropriate here. You can go back to the Greek. What Paul is saying pretty clearly is when they're in the act of circumcision, why not just finish the job and remove the male organ, the male reproductive organ? He's saying just take the whole thing. Because circumcision is an act of, I'm just going to remove the flesh. It's a symbolic act. And Paul says, if you are going down the path of legalism, there is no life that is ever going to come from that. And you can look at this, and we kind of all squirm. We're sitting in our nice chairs with the AC, and we're thinking, that's just a little bit awkward, isn't it? Yes, it is. Just a tad. You're right. Just a, just a skosh. And, and what's even more awkward is that that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't write this because Paul slipped out of being filled with the Spirit, right? It's not that Galatians is written by the Holy Spirit and Galatians 5 verse 12 is written by Paul. The Holy Spirit said this. 
The same Holy Spirit who inspired Paul earlier to say, if anyone preaches a different gospel than the one that you've received, let him be accursed. The same Holy Spirit who inspired Jesus to say, anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better if a millstone was tied around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. If you're going to cause somebody to stumble, it'd be better to commit suicide than to cause someone to stumble, Jesus said. That's really heavy stuff. And it's not that God is heartless. It's not that Paul is being brutal or crass. It's that God is saying, you have got to understand how serious grace is. You have got to understand how big this gift is, how painful it was for me to give it to you, and how offensive it is for you to think that you can somehow supplant that or replace that or top that. If you go down this road of, I can just, you know, God is sort of like, grace is sort of like salvation 1.0, right? It's like, it's like an iPhone software. I, had, I got the first version, that was great, now I just need the next one. If you go down that road, it is a long, dangerous slide out of the presence of God, out of the fellowship of God, into self-righteousness and hidden sin and unfruitfulness, and the end of that is death. There is spiritual death that happens if you slide down that road. And so what are we called to do? We are called to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. God takes grace very seriously. Not because it's so hard to get, but because it's so wonderful. Because it's such a glorious gift. There are some gifts that are so sacred, you don't want to spoil them. Right? There are some things you could give someone as a gift that if you give it to them, they are not going to throw it in their backpack. They're going to keep it safely. They're going to keep it probably behind glass. They're going to put it somewhere. You know, you can give, some, you can give people coins that have never been touched by human skin. Why? Because we understand there's a value associated with it. And God says, and here's, and here's the, the radical thing about grace, is it's that level of value. And he says, I, I'm going to give you more of it than you possibly know what to do with. Right? It's this ridiculous irony that the Lord loves to do. He says, this is so valuable. There's nothing you can do to replace it, to comprehend it, to top it. And by the way, there's also nothing you can do to even figure out how much of it you have at your disposal. There's so much of it here for you that how could you ever think there's anything else you can do to, to improve upon what I've done? I've got the perfect system in place. Verse 13. He says, for you, brethren have been called to liberty. Same idea. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. So now we're going to start to make, Paul's anticipating the other argument. Okay? Hey, I can't add to God's grace. Woohoo! Right? I'll see you at the bar after church, baby. Party on. No. <clears throat> um, you've been called to liberty, but do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Liberty is a funny thing. Because sometimes what we do is we say, what can I do because I'm free? And sometimes what we need to say instead is, what can I do to preserve liberty? You know, we're, we live in a democratic society where we say, hey, we have the right of free speech. What we aren't so good at saying sometimes is what are the things we need to say to maintain the right of free speech, 
right? Oh, I, I can do certain things to my body. Yeah, oh, I have the right, constitutionally, medically, whatever else. But maybe the better question is, what are the things I can do to maintain my body? I can put things in my body legally that aren't going to help me out, right? So the question is not, what can we do with our liberty? The question is not, what can we get away with now that Christ has set us free? The question is, if we've been set free, what can we do to walk in freedom? What is freedom? And how do we grow in it? How do we walk in it? How do we not stumble out of it in either direction? I don't want to lose my liberty because I suddenly got into the, all these laws. I also don't want to lose my liberty because I got so stupid that I wound up killing myself. Right? I mean, I, I, do you understand what I'm saying here? You can lose liberty one of two ways. You can go into legalism and add laws and add rules, or you can take so much liberty that you destroy the ability to enjoy liberty. And so that's what Paul's going to be warning us about. And he's going to be going back and forth through the rest of this book. And so, but he's anticipating, again, the next question. So what do you do? I want to walk in liberty. What do, I, what do I do? I want to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made me free. What do I do? Paul says, glad you asked. Verse 16. I say then. It's kind of a British vibe, you know. I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Right here, Paul sums it up probably more concisely than at any other point in the entire Bible. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if I don't want to fulfill the lust of my flesh, what do I need to do? I need to walk in the Spirit. If I don't want to be under the law, what do I need to do? I need to be led by the Spirit. And those are actually two different Greek words. Walk is kind of like when a woman goes to the mall. All right? It's, God bless them. Women are nuts, okay? Um, like, you go to the mall, like, what's the, I don't know what the point is. Like, you go to the store to buy something, right? And you only go to the store to buy something that you need. Like, I know what I need, I'm going there. There's two different kinds of shopping, right? There's going to the mall as a lady, and there's going to the store. When I'm leaving the house at 7.32, I know Lowe's closes at 8, and I need a 5.30-seconds drill bit. I've done that before, right? That's shopping right there. I mean, it's, I know what I'm getting. I know where I'm going. I'm not even walking to the back aisle to see what's on sale. We are getting that drill bit, and we are getting home. We've got tile sitting, and you know, it's hardening up. It's one of the few times in my life I ever got a speed warning, actually. Um, Years ago, years ago. I'm super responsible now. But, but Lowe's was going to close, and I had a job to do, and by golly, I got it done, right? Speed warning and all. Um, that's being led by the Spirit. Is we got a mission, we got a plan, we know where we're going and what we're doing. The Spirit is telling us, here's, here's what you do. And then there's also walking in the Spirit, which is what? We're just kind of doing life. You know, you go to work, you got your family, you go to church, you do your thing, go to the grocery store, maybe you shop, maybe you shop. Um, 
but you're being, you're walking with the Spirit. Hey, God, what do you want to do today? Hey, God, is there anything you want me to say to anybody today? Is there, a, do you want to open the door to a spiritual conversation today? We're walking in the Spirit, just kind of being, letting the presence of God be in our lives. Paul says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Not you might not, not you probably won't, not you'll average out. If you are walking in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When we walk in the lust of the flesh, it is because we are not walking in the Spirit. If you're a soldier, you can only walk under one leader at a time. Right? If you're in World War II and you're in Europe, you're either fighting for the Axis powers or the Allied powers. Right? There, there are certain wars where you're on one side or the other. Unless you're Switzerland, and that doesn't count. Um, but for us, in the battle that we're in, right, you're either walking in the flesh or you're walking in the Spirit. If we've been given the Spirit, we've been given the Spirit of God to walk in liberty. So Paul says, you walk in that Spirit, and you're not going to fulfill all the lusts of your flesh. You're led by the Spirit. This is equally important. You're led by the Spirit, and you're not going to come under the law. Hey, you know, we need to do this, and we need to get circumcised, and we need to keep the law. No. Holy Spirit told me what to do. Holy Spirit told me, you speak to this person. You do this. You move here. You live here. You pour into these people. You do this. I don't need to do any of this stuff over here. That's putting me under the law. And I'm already being led in righteousness by a righteous God. I don't need any of this stuff. Right? Hey, I've got all these temptations pulling out my heart, pulling out my emotions, pulling out my sexuality, pulling out whatever. You know what? I'm walking with the Spirit. And his presence has been invited into my every moment of my life. And so I have the opportunity to respond to him at any point and say, Lord, I want to walk in obedience. Now, conversely, we understand we're still going to stumble. We're still going to fall. And it's not because the Spirit of God is insufficient. It's because we have members of our body that are at war with each other. Paul says the flesh is lusting against the spirit, and the spirit is against the flesh. You are going to be in a battle until you die. And in a battle, it's okay to understand and recognize that sometimes there are setbacks. And we are not perfect yet. We are being perfected. Right? When the Holy Spirit enters your life, he does not automatically make you sinless, but he will help you to sin less. We are called to walk in righteousness. So when you stumble... It's not, oh my gosh, I've, you know, now grace isn't working. See, I need, I need more rules because I fulfilled the lust of my flesh, so now I need to go into the law. No, you don't. You need to walk by the Spirit. If you find yourself under the works of the law, it's not, oh my gosh, you know, wow, I'm just, oh, I'm sober, and I just need to, I just need to, to celebrate, right? I just need some freedom. Yay, Jesus. Yay, beer. Let's just go. No, no, no. No, you don't. No, you don't. You need to be led by the Spirit. Where is God taking you? Because God's got a plan. So where are we going? So understand this. So the Spirit of God is going to empower us. If we want to stand fast in liberty, it is only by the Spirit of God. With that being said, though, Paul emphasizes in the beginning of this book that there are different spirits. He says, if an angel from heaven comes and teaches you a gospel that's contrary to what I've taught, he's to be accursed. So... How do we know that we're walking by the Spirit? How do we, you know, like, well, great. You know, it's, it's, walk by the Spirit is very easy to say. And it is not quite so easy to live out. But John chapter 8, verse 31, and Jesus is speaking. And he says, 
If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hebrews tells us that God cannot lie. So if you don't know what the Spirit is going to say, the Spirit is always going to say what the Word of God says. The Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. So Jesus said, you abide in my Word, and you'll know truth, and truth will make you free. You want to know what the Spirit of God is saying? You abide in the Word of God. Jesus said, you abide in my word and you'll bear much fruit. You want to see fruit in your life? You want to see yourself growing in the ability to deny your flesh and say, I want to walk by the Spirit. I want to be led by the Spirit. You abide in the word of God. The word of God. You want to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made you free? You abide in my word, Jesus says, and you will have freedom. Okay? So again, why? Because faith works through love. If I respond to what God has done, wow, I've been set free. The God who set me free said, if you want to stay free, here's a book on how to do it. I don't read my Bible to be more spiritual. I read my Bible because I'm sunk without it. Right? There's a difference. I'm not reading my Bible so God will like me. I'm reading my Bible because he already does. And he, he, he sent me a message. And said, hey, if you want to know what I'm like, if you want to have fellowship with me, if you want to interact with me, start here. And so that's why we go to the Word of God. That's why we go to the Word of God privately. That's why we go to the Word of God corporately as a church. That's why this church goes through the Word of God. Because what better way is there to teach people, here's what God wants to say to you. Here's what God wants to do with your life than to take them through the Word. I don't want to tell you what I think God wants to say to you. Or what I hope God wants to say to you. I want to tell you what the word of God is saying to you. I want the power of God to speak through the word of God. And so that's why we are going through the word of God. That's why we don't, that's why we don't do series at this church. Every once in a while we come to a, a specific point of doctrine that we really need to make sure we understand as a church, here's who we are, because we want to make sure there's not confusion for the sake of unity. Yes, we'll park. And we'll go into certain things in depth. But on the whole, our goal is to move through the entire word of God. Because the only way for us to know the entire will of God is to know the entire word of God. So, Paul's going to continue on. Because we're going to continue on because we're going to go through the word. Chapter 5, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh. If you were wondering, what are the works of the flesh that we're trying to avoid? The works of the flesh are evident, which are... Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You want to know what the works of the flesh are? Here's the list. And if anybody ever thinks, anybody ever drops the line, I'm a pretty good person, bear in mind that selfish ambition is on the same list as murder. If you covet another thing that a person has, then you have, are as removed from the goodness of God as a murderer, as an adulterer, as a fornicator, as any kind of of sexual activity outside of a covenant marriage between one biological man and one biological woman. 
Any kind of uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath. We're all on this list. Apart from what? The grace of God. Apart from what? The liberty that we've been set free to walk in. And so when Paul says, don't slide off on the edge of, hey, I can do whatever I want. It's because if you start doing whatever you want, you're going to fall into this list. And this list will kill you. Right? The works of the flesh are evident. And those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying if you have struggled or struggle with one of these things and you are trying to grow in walking in the Spirit. He's saying if this is what marks your life, if you are that guy or that gal, who are you? I'm the drunk. Or I'm the adulterer. Or I'm the angry man. Or whatever else. If that is what is defining your life between you and the Lord... You are not saved. And cleaning that up will not save you, right? But it's a demonstration of the fact that you do not understand the grace of God, that you are not walking in grace. Because why? Grace is an active truth. It forces a response. And so we are walking in liberty, and we are doing the things that will enable us to continue walking in liberty. So those are the works of the flesh. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, notice something here. We call these the fruits of the Spirit. It's not actually true. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is. It's not bad grammar. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The ripple effects of love in our life, the love of the Spirit, the love of Christ working in us, is going to produce joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you are walking in the Spirit, and you are being led by the Spirit, these things are going to grow in your life. But bear in mind, they're fruits. Fruits sometimes, you know, Galatians, if you're not careful, you can read Galatians and say, wow, I'm a loser Christian. And the answer is actually, you're correct. You are a loser Christian. But thankfully, God is a good God, right? So you can look at this and say, well, I'm not there yet. Yeah, you're not, and, and you're not gonna be until you die, but you should be growing. And so if you, if you read this list and you're like, that's not me. I was looking at this list. You know, if, if we're spirit-filled, if I'm spirit-filled and I'm walking in the spirit, then I ought to say the fruit of Nate Murphy's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That one. It's got my name all over it. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Come on, baby. Self-control. It's just not there, right? I mean, I mean, I can't read that with a straight face because that doesn't. Def- those aren't the things that define my life. But what are they? They're fruits. What happens to fruit? It grows in season. We're going to get to it in chapter 6. We will get there, but we're probably going to be a little late tonight. Sorry. It's Galatians 5 and 6. You've got to slow down. But look at the difference here. The works of the flesh. The fruits of the Spirit. In Romans... Five or six, I forget which one. 
Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Sin is going to earn you something, right? You go to work, you get a paycheck. Why? Because you earn it. Without being overly uh, selfish, you deserve it, right? There's there's an appropriate response. I worked, I earned money, right? We made an exchange. I gave the employer part of my life, and he's giving me part of his cash. There's an exchange. You sin, you give part of your soul to the devil, what do you get back? Death. It's a fair exchange. The, The wages of sin is death. The works of the flesh are evident. The gift of God is eternal life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Do you notice this? This isn't about, this isn't about are you earning it. It isn't the works of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit to those who are awesome enough. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit and you are led by the Spirit, these will come into your life. This is a promise from the Lord. This is a promise through the Word of God. If you are walking in the Spirit, this is growing in your life. And you can say, Nate, I don't feel like it's growing. And you know what we say? Your feelings don't matter. The truth of God's Word is what matters. God says, this is growing in your life. And you say, I wish it would grow faster. Well, God grows fruit in His time. Right? These things God brings in the appropriate time. But it is coming. The blessing and the goodness and the richness that comes from walking in the Holy Spirit is coming in your life. So do not lose sight of that. We can all get frustrated at how slow we grow because we, I think, all grow slower than we want, right? But the Lord says, hey, this is coming. We're growing in this. So he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. All right, this is such a great summary to the book of Galatians. We live by the Spirit. Who made us spiritually alive in the first place? The Spirit of God. So how do we expect to live well by the Spirit of God? You're not made alive in Christ and then finished out on your own good efforts. You're made alive by the Spirit of God, and you're going to continue walking in that everlasting life by the Spirit of God. Chapter 6, here we go. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And they'll let each one examine his own work, and then you will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. So Paul says, okay guys, look, as we're addressing walking in the spirit, walking, you know, not walking in the lust of your flesh, not being led by the law, people are going to stumble. So what do we do in the church when that happens? If any man's overtaken in any trespass, doesn't matter if somebody's leaning too far one way or the other, you who are spiritual, you who are being filled with the spirit, growing in the fruits of the spirit, you, the church, the people who are in full-time ministry, that's every single one of us in the room, you restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself also lest you be tempted. All right, so what do we do? If someone's caught up, what do we do? We need to restore them. We need to do it gently. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into the same sin. That's that's what we're called to do. Now, if someone refuses, you know, some people will walk in sin and refuse to repent. And there is a point sometimes when you say, you know what? 
You're endangering the rest of the church. You need to leave this church. That's very few and far between. Most people are happy to let themselves out because they don't want to be convicted by the Holy Spirit at that point. But if somebody's struggling with sin, if somebody's wanting to grow in the Holy Spirit, you should have a vision. We should have a vision to restore them, to do it gently. Why? Because the grace of God is a gift, right? We don't hit them over the head and say, well, duh, should have seen that one coming. No, no, we want to do it gently, and we also want to be careful because we are not, we're not super Christians. Any sin that a person is caught up in is a sin that you are capable of falling into. So restore them. Have a hardcore vision to see them restored. But be careful, right? I know of a situation, somebody who none of you guys know, a guy reached out to a woman who was going through some hard times in her marriage, thought, hey, maybe I can help pray for you. Guess what? She got divorced and they got married. And we all say, that was stupid, right? Um, yeah, that, that is stupid. Uh, be careful, right? Don't be an idiot, okay? Just, you know, walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. And bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. People are going to have struggles. And then also he says, each one shall bear his own load. So what do we do? Is that a contradiction? No. Because people will have struggles that they cannot bear. Things that are weighing them down, that they are just overwhelmed by, they can't deal with. And we as a church should be coming alongside saying, hey, I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. Maybe I have the opportunity to help in this situation in a tangible way, right? But each one should bear their own load. There are certain things where if a person is just chronically lazy and then complaining and dumping on on somebody, you say, you know what? I want to restore you in a spirit of gentleness, but I'm also going to be careful that you don't saddle me with the load that isn't mine. Um, You know, I I don't want to get, I want to help you, I want to love you, but you also need to grow. And so that's a balance. That's not always easy to navigate. How are you going to navigate that? You better be walking in the Spirit, and you better be being led by the Spirit. He goes on in verse 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So be nice to your pastor. Uh, I'll just say be nice to your senior pastor. That's way more fun. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right. So if you're listening to, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and you think, wow, that's great. I'm not there. Here we go. This is Paul's answer to that, to that struggle, all right, which is frankly a struggle that we all are going to deal with, of I am just not as surrendered to the Holy Spirit as I want to be. And gosh dang it, I feel like I ought to have more fruit in my life, and I shouldn't be struggling as often as I am. Well, here's what you do. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. God has got a system in place, and you're not going to break the system. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That's the way the world works. It is a cause and effect universe. It is written into the laws of nature so that we can understand this on a spiritual level. If you put corn and seed in the ground, what comes up? Corn. If you put wheat in the ground, what comes up? Wheat. You put acorns in the ground, you get oak trees. Right? Right? It's just a law. Nobody in the history of mankind 
has ever put in an acorn and gotten a maple tree. It doesn't happen. Because whatever you sow is what you reap. And Paul goes on to explain, and again, this is the same idea, because he's warning us to not stumble into the law and to not stumble into walking by the flesh. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you say, hey, I'm free, I can do whatever I want, Romans 5 and 6 talk about don't make yourself a slave of unrighteousness, right? If you decide, hey, I'm free, I'm, I'm saved by grace anyways, then you know what happens? You are sowing to the flesh and you are going to reap corruption. It will come. And we said sometimes fruit grows really slowly. Sometimes you can get away with it for a really, really, really long time. But it's a cause and effect universe. You put flesh in the ground, you're going to reap corruption. And there are no exceptions. If you sow to the Spirit, you will, not you might, you will, of the Spirit, reap everlasting life. If you are sowing, if you are surrendering to the Spirit of God, you will reap the fruits of the Spirit. You will reap everlasting life. These aren't hopes. These aren't wishes. These are promises. These are facts. As sure as gravity, right? As, as, as accurate as anything you can measure in a physics course. Except infinitely more so. If you sow the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. So, so okay, it's a promise. So what do we do? Because it doesn't feel like it. Well, the heck with your feelings. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For what? In due season we shall reap. God is God. It's a very small word for a very big person. Right? He knows exactly what you need. He knows what you're going to need. He knows the extent to which you're going to need to learn it and the speed at which you're capable of processing it. And so you will reap. So what does Paul say? In that interim, what do you need to do? You need to not grow weary. It is coming. If you want to see fruit in your life, you need to understand something. It is coming. If you want to see victory over sin and you are striving to walk in the Spirit, you need to understand something. It is coming. It is a fact of the universe. If God is real and His Word is real, then it is coming. So what do you need to do? Don't grow weary. That's really easy to say, right? Let's be frank. Has anybody ever gotten weary in being a Christian? How do you get weary? Do you know how you get weary? You get weary when you get up on this side. Well, if I just do this, if I just find, you know, sometimes we, if I can just find, man, if I can just pray the right way, right? Maybe if I, you know, say Father God instead of God or instead of Dear God. Or maybe if I close, like, you know, in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus, uh, in Jesus' name. Whew. I used to just say amen, but that probably isn't working. So, um, okay, I got to do this thing. Maybe if I fast. Now, I believe you should fast. Fasting is great. I believe you should pray. Absolutely. Yeah. But you're not going to do those things. You're not going to force God's hand. And if you slide into that, what's going to happen? You're going to grow so weary. Right? Because making yourself holy is the biggest pain in life. It is the most exhausting thing you can possibly do. 
because you are trying to attain the holiness of God with your limited capacity. And I hate to break it to you, but you're pretty limited. I'm pretty doggone limited. And so if I say, wow, God is cool. Uh, I guess I just got to be like God on my own strength. Guess what? You're going to get tired. You're going to get really tired. You're probably going to get really tired really fast. So what do you do? If you want to not grow weary, you need to do? You need to walk in the Spirit. You need to be led by the Spirit. You need to abide in the Word of God, just like Jesus said. And if you're doing those things, guess what? You're going to bear the fruits of the Spirit. You're going to stand fast in liberty. The growth will happen. The promise is there. God will bring it in His time. If you struggle with the things that you want and that you're hoping God will give you, even good desires sometimes, God will bring it. God will bring the proper thing for your life at the proper time. What do you need to do? Abide in the Word of God. Be surrendered to the Spirit of God. And seek to know the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? Not to earn these things, but because you're already set free. Because, hey, I'm in freedom, but there's more freedom to be had. Grace is a never-ending pool. Right? You never get to the end of it. It doesn't run out. The farther downstream you go, the bigger it gets. All right? The more you walk in grace, the more grace you experience. So what do we do? Grow in the liberty. It's coming. The fruit of righteousness is coming. So Paul says, see, verse 11, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. So Paul either wrote the entire book himself or he wrote at least the last paragraph by himself. And this is a big deal because most scholars say that Paul probably had really bad eyesight. And most of Paul's other letters, he makes a reference, basically, he had dictated it. And somebody wrote it out for him, and then he signed it himself with his signature. So Paul has either written the whole last paragraph to remind the church, like, this is important. It's so important that I am writing this myself. I want to make sure you understand that I am serious about this. All right? And whether that was, don't grow weary in doing good, and he who sows the Spirit will reap everlasting life, or whether it was the entire book from start to finish, we don't know. But either way, Paul says, you pay attention. I am writing this myself because this is serious stuff. Verse 12, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. If you follow the law, understand, you'll never keep the whole thing. Even the people who are telling you they keep the whole thing are not keeping the whole thing. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The Judaizers want to send back their monthly email newsletter and say, hey, guess what? We got to circumcise 22 males this month. Great. Really didn't need to know, right? Paul says, hey, guess what? Jesus Christ died for our sins this month, right? And we are learning what that means. Which, one's, which one do you want to be under? Which pastor do you want to be under? Paul says, look, the only thing I'm proud about, I don't want to be cocky about anything. It's the fact that God is in charge and I'm not. Verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor 
uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Whatever you are, if you grew up a Jewish person, if you grew up a non-Jewish person, it doesn't matter. The point is, are you a new creation? We're not talking, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Christianity isn't taking dirty people and making them clean. It's not taking sick people and making them well. It's taking dead people and making them alive. It doesn't matter what kind of dead person you were. It matters, are you now a live person? So, and, verse 16, as many as walk according to this rule, what rule? The rule of being a new creation. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We're called to be a new creation by Christ. Paul says, if you're a new creation, then the peace of God, he's he's pouring out a benediction, he's pouring out a blessing on the churches, right? And so in the same way as we read this, this blessing is being poured out to each one of us. If you're a new creation tonight, the peace of God fill your life. The mercy of God abound in your heart. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for grace. We can't even imagine the depths of it, God, but we want to try. We want to walk in liberty. We want to hold on to it as a precious gift. I pray, God, that you would guard our steps. We do not want to stumble to the left or the right. We don't want to fall into the law and we don't want to fall into the works of our flesh. We want to walk in the Spirit. We want to be led by your Spirit. We want to abide in your Word. And so we pray. We pray believing. We pray trusting in your Word that these things are our possession. They are our inheritance. We believe that fruit is coming. That fruit is here in ways that we don't even appreciate right now, that we will reap everlasting life by your Holy Spirit, and we are thankful. So the Lord, go before us. Let us be a people marked by liberty, by freedom, and by the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.